I want to go in into this message today. Last Sunday's message got so much response. In fact, I think over 280,000 views online in just five days. A lot of people are sharing it. A lot of people are saying it. And I think that it's very important that as Christians, we take a stand. Just recently, not long ago, um, a very famous YouTuber whom a lot of children watch, uh, Mr. Beast, who I think has 140 something million subscribers, his sidekick, this is Chris Tyson, uh, who was one of the, you know, very known, uh, very known who works with him, who has a two-year-old son and, you know, was a godly, you know, good family. You could see this good, good family. And he decided to, you know, move away from that, step away from his role as a husband and become a husband, uh, be become a wife, become, uh, become a woman and transition. And the reason why I'm highlighting that is because a lot of children watch Mr. Beast's videos. Those videos are funny. Those videos are fun. Those videos are exciting. Mr. Beast puts a lot of money into those videos. And behind the scenes now, there is this, uh, this almost subconscious thing to begin to normalize what the scripture calls abomination uh, with apple releasing an emoji where men can be pregnant something that is just weird and something that is just not biological possible but now that's being inserted even into our phones and our culture is progressing further and further from the biblical standard and the biblical norms what i want to encourage you with in this message today that we're going to talk about is first of all we as christians we are not against people we love people. We love people unconditionally as Jesus loves us. But we also stand for God's truth without compromise. I believe that we are like in the exile. We have to refuse to bow to the gods of tolerance, to the gods of sexual immorality, and to the gods that are trying to push their view on the rest of the people. And one of the ways they do that is they name call anybody who doesn't agree with them to cause them to be afraid and to put a muzzle on their mouth and to bully us into silence. You know, to call you a hater, meaning if you disagree with somebody, you become a hater. But if they disagree with you, they're not a hater though. And that's our culture today, to call you intolerant, to call you a person that is just bigoted, to call you those names. And I want to encourage you today not to bow to the demands and to the pressure and to the perversion of our culture. This culture, like Roman culture, like Greek culture, like other Persian culture, like Persian, uh, Persian Empire, all of these things will pass. But the Bible says the word of the Lord will endure forever. One day we will stand before God and I'd rather hear Jesus say not that you were culturally relevant and trendy. I want him to say faithful and good servant. My friends, all of this that we see today will pass, but let's stand on the power of God's Word. Also, our message today to our generation, our message to those here. The reason why we don't affirm gay lifestyle, because the gospel we believe can change a homosexual. We believe, we affirm the power of the gospel. We affirm the power of the blood. We affirm the power of the Holy Spirit. He can take a dead man and make him alive. Holy Spirit can take somebody who is confused and give them clarity. He can take somebody who is lost and help them to be found by the blood and the grace of Jesus Christ. And therefore when the church affirms the homosexual lifestyle to those people like we have heard today, what they're saying to them is that God cannot redeem. God cannot restore. God cannot save. God cannot raise the dead. God cannot do that. But my friend, our God is greater. He emptied the tomb and He can set the captives free. Whom the Son sets free is free indeed. He delivers from alcohol. He delivers from drugs. He delivers from homosexuality. He delivers from lesbianism. He delivers from pornography. He delivers from every vice that the enemy puts into our life. We affirm the power of the gospel. Somebody give God some praise. Come on, put your hands together. We've seen God deliver people from demons. We've seen God deliver people from curses. We've seen God deliver people from nightmares. And this issue is no different for our God. It might be too big for you. It's not too big for God. Can somebody say amen? amen. Come on somebody. I want to share with you today how sex has become God in our culture. God created sex. 
But the culture created sex into a God, made God out of sex. There's a design of sex that was designed by our, by our God. Sex wasn't designed by porn industry. Sex wasn't designed by animals. It was designed by our Creator. You know, Hannah plays cello on the stage and a cello has two parts. Cello and then it has the bow. Now a person who's not a musician who doesn't play cello may look at the bow and say, well, this is a big toothpick. You know, I wonder what I can do with it. Maybe I can use it for my garden. And they can put it in and then try to use it for some other purposes. But whoever created cello designed the bow to go with the cello. And when the bow goes to th with the cello, it makes beautiful music. The way our Creator designed a male and a female, and when they go together, they create a family. Now, and you're not a cello and the other spouse is not a bow. So it's not a perfect illustration, but you get the point. Because we don't need each other to be fulfilled in Christ, but we do need each other to fulfill God's assignment on humanity to fill this earth and as well heaven with God's image barriers whom we call children. Amen. Now, God designed that. When you take something out of its design, what begins to happen is it begins to be violated. I recently saw a photo of a person driving in San Antonio on a shopping cart and made it into a car. Now a shopping cart was supposed, you're supposed to carry groceries in it, not drive it. So there is a design for a shopping cart and it's not to drive it. You know, and some people like to take certain things that were designed for a purpose and of course deviate from that and make something else out of it. And sometimes it's just our creative liberties. But when we begin to violate the Creator's design for our bodies and design of His for sexual intimacy and try to bring our own things into it, not only we violate it, but we pay dearly for it. We must understand God designed sex to be between a husband and a wife. The first time we see a man being naked was he was naked with his wife. That means you shouldn't be naked with anybody who ain't your spouse. God's purpose for sex was in marriage for procreation, for pleasure. Sex is not just for the babies, sex is also for fun. The Bible says it's also for protection. The scripture says, so instead of us burning with lust, it says, let a man have his wife and the wife have her husband. Now, we're not getting married to run away from lust, but the Bible does say that a healthy, satisfying physical intimacy in marriage serves as a shield and protection against the vices in this world. And so it's also for protection. It's also for comfort. The Bible says that David went and had a physical relationship with his now wife Bathsheba and he comforted her. And sex in marriage is also for intimacy. It's when you get to know somebody on a deep, deep level. There is a reason why God created this gift and it is to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. Few things that I want to highlight is that sex is like a super glue. You don't want to experiment with it. So many times single people will say, you know what, I don't want to marry somebody until I know if they're good in bed. And they treat it as like, well, I don't buy a car until I test it. Well, sex is not a car on the lot. It's actually more like a super glue. You don't take super glue out and say, let me try it with my fingers before I buy it. You trust that it works. And the only time you would put that glue is on something you want it to be cemented perfectly and permanently. And same thing is with a relationship. The Bible says a man who joins to a prostitute becomes one with her. Meaning there is a cementing and there is a connection that happens. Which why many people after having a physical relationship with somebody need healing of the soul. And certain part, parts of their soul actually become fragmented and left in the other person. Why? Because there is a cementing and a super gluing that happens. You don't want to use that super glue with somebody you are not permanent with. With. Amen. The Bible also says biblical view of sexuality is sex 
is about serving one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says 1 through 5, he says that husbands should not treat their bodies as their own and the wife shouldn't treat her body as her own. And he uses that in a Christian world. In a Christian worldview, sexuality is one of the greatest ways that you can serve one another. That verse has been abused by some Christian men who simply use that to demand sex from their wife. But Paul said those verses not to give a man something to ask for or demand for, but a cause to serve your spouse. Because we believe that any non-consensual sex, even in marriage, is rape. Sex is not something you demand, it's something you offer and you serve your spouse with it. Can somebody say Amen? And we want, we serve a church, we volunteer and all of that is good. But some of us need to realize sex is not dirty. It's an act of service. You are serving, you are connecting. It's a gift that God created. It's a beautiful, powerful expression that happens between a husband and a wife. But the Bible also warns that the sexual urges should not rule us. In 1 Thessalonians it says that each man should possess their vessel with honor. Meaning your urge, your body is not something that should rule you. You should rule it. As a Christian you are not an animal that is ruled by your desires. You are an image barrier that can rule your desires and put them in subjection to God's Word and your willpower. And if you don't have that willpower you can submit to the power of the Holy Spirit and He will help you to live in the way where you rule your sexual desires. Can somebody say Amen. A lot of times religion likes to portray sex as dirty. The world portrays sex as a God. It's almost like a deity that you worship. It's a religion. But the Bible teaches us that sex within marriage is a gift to be enjoyed. And a gift that is celebrated. And a gift that is not something that we should be even afraid to talk about from the pulpit. Because God created it. He sanctioned it. And has a whole book, Song of Solomon, in the Bible for it. Can somebody say, Amen. I see men are saying amen more than women today. I like this message already. <laughs> Those of you who do gardening, you know that flowers, plants, they need soil. Soil nourishes plants, flowers. And this soil, it's not dirt. It's nourishing. It's not dirty when in, it's in the flower bed, correct? You take the same soil that is nourishing and nurturing to the flowers, take it into with your salad, it no longer becomes soil, it becomes dirt. How can something in one context is nurturing and another one is nasty? Very simple. Same thing is with sexuality. In the context of a flower bed, when the context of a relationship between a husband and a wife, you need that soil to bring people together, keep people together, an expression of love. It's a nurturing thing that happens. Intimacy, comfort, protection, pleasure, procreation, all of that happens. Take that outside of the flower bed of marital relationship into the plate called single life or into the plate called homosexual relationship, lesbian relationship, it becomes dirty. No matter how much the culture tries to convince us that no, it's good because you make it good. It's good because you like it. But there is a God who is a creator and a designer and He placed that soil within a flower bed and when we take it out of the flower bed into a plate with salad it's no longer nurturing it is dangerous it's a disobedience to God it's a deviance from his plan we're deviating from his plan and it's bringing destruction amen the second thing I want to highlight about sex is the deviance of sex the deviation of sex. It's when sex moved from its design and it became deviant. It became different. And that's what's happening and what started to happen in our culture. The Bible clearly stated from the beginning, God warned 
that just because you can have sex, it doesn't mean you should with everything or everyone that moves. Sex is powerful, but there are warnings attached to it. Me and my wife bought a gun safe yesterday. She has a little concealed carry. I'm getting mine very soon. And it has nothing to do with this series, by the way. Somewhere like, man, Lad needs protection uh, from all the people that will come against him. No, it's not because of that. I'm just a law-abiding citizen of the United States when I have a gun. It's one of our rights. And one of the reasons that you have to have a safe for a gun is because guns are powerful. And guns should be concealed. You, you don't want to be, unless you're a drug dealer, you don't have guns lying on your kitchen table when you're having a dinner. They're hidden. Also, you don't want to have kids to have access to them. There is certain power that's attached to them. And with its power comes protection that needs to be given to them. And sometimes I wonder if this powerful gift that God has given us, our culture just waves it every single... Imagine if I were coming to church and waving my gun like this everywhere. Like most would be like, whoa, dude, <laughs> what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> you can't be doing that. Or if you go to the mall and just wave it at everywhere, they'll arrest you. And so our culture has taken something that's sacred and powerful and became and made it into something that is outside of its design. Amen. And the Bible makes it very clear for us that sex outside of God's design is incest, adultery, fornication, bestiality, homosexuality prostitution where you pay for it, a rape when you force somebody to have sex with you. We have to understand is once our culture loses the God as the creator, we move away from the design that he created for sexual morality. As you open to Romans chapter 1, before we read that, I want to highlight the, the culture that Apostle Paul and the early church lived in. The culture that they lived in was a Roman culture. Romans came right after Greeks. Greeks had their gods and also had their sexual lifestyle that they lived that was not very much different from how our culture lives today. Prostitution in temples, cult prostitutions, homosexuality was norm in that day. But Romans took it even to another level. At the time that Paul was writing Romans chapter 1 to people in Rome, their own emperor Nero, he was married to a young man whom he made as his wife. Shortly after that, Nero man marries another man and Nero, the emperor, becomes the wife and his husband becomes his husband. Roman culture believed that Zeus wanted to marry this young man, their, their, their myth, myth view or a view of their god Zeus. He wanted to marry this young man, but what he did is he turned into an eagle, flew like an eagle and stole this young man, kidnapped him, brought him into his palace and he married him and Zeus had a homosexual relationship with another man. So you could see when somebody's view of God will affect their view of sexuality. No wonder Romans lived very sexually immoral life. In their temples they had cults who performed sexual acts. Their connection to spirituality and sexuality was mixed together. It was very common in Roman culture for an older man to have a sexual relationship with a teenage boy. And this was a norm in what we would call pedophilia today. It was the norm in their culture. So when Paul is writing to Rome's, uh, Rome, I want you to notice Paul is not affirming the cultural stance. He's resisting it. One of the things that separated Christians from the culture they lived in. First one is they didn't worship the gods of their culture. The culture bowed to idols and Christians only bowed their knee to Jesus. This was a big resistance against the culture. Today, it's not a big deal if you worship Jesus instead of worshiping an idol. But in that day, that was a big deal. The second thing that separated Christians from pagans is their sexual ethic. Christians lived differently, not only in their belief, but also in their bedroom. I believe if your theology does not affect your sexuality, your theology hasn't gone deep enough. Our view of how we view sexuality 
has to be changed when we become Christian. Our God is not Zeus. Our God is Yahweh. Our God is Jesus. And Jesus lived a perfect moral life. And Jesus passed on to us a different principles than the principles of this world. He brought us a different kingdom. And His kingdom is righteousness, peace and joy. His kingdom is not Roman kingdom. It's not a Greek kingdom. It's not Egyptian kingdom. It's not American kingdom. It is the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. Amen. I want you to notice what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 1 and verse 25. He's talking about a generation that's very, he describes our generation, but this was their generation as well. He says, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I want you to notice the first problem with their culture and so is with ours. We first exchange the truth about God. Meaning we get rid of the designer. Meaning we instead of having God, we now have an image of God that's consistent and congruent with our lust, lifestyle and passions. Why? So we don't have to change. Instead, we change God in our liking. The God of the Bible made us in His image. The God of my generation made God in theirs. They exchanged God for an image. Now my generation, your generation doesn't have idols in our houses. But instead what we have is we have an image and a view of God that doesn't change Meaning that doesn't change us. A view of God that God is loving, He's tolerant. He is updating with times because times have changed. People have evolved and so did God. He is affirming of all lifestyles, explorations and exploitations. We make God in our image. And Paul says that's the problem. The second thing I want you to notice is he says this. In verses before is they professed to be wise but they became fools and changed the glory of incorruptible God into the image. And then it says, and then God gave them up to cleanness, verse 24, in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. I want you to notice that Paul isn't describing an alternative lifestyle. He's describing something he calls vile, shameful, and something that brings the wrath of God. But where does it start with? We exchange God into an image we make for ourselves. I believe that our culture practices idolatry. Idolatry is this, we made God that fits our life. Instead of worshiping God that changes our life. And after that we have to suppress and exchange the truth for a lie. Because when you change God, you have to then change the truth. In our culture, the truth is what you believe is true. And what might be true for you is not true for me. Meaning there is no absolute truth. There is just the truth that works for everybody and everybody is subscribed to it. Imagine you're a sailor on the sea. And instead of using the sun, the stars and the shore as your navigation, you decide to light a candle. And put the candle in the middle of the ship and say, I will be navigated through the light of this candle. Well, the problem is you put that candle there and it won't steer you anywhere because you're steering it. It's kind of like being led by the wheelbarrow that you are pushing. I'm going to let the wheelbarrow dictate the direction in the course of my life. And you're the one that's directing it. And that's how our culture lives. Make God in our image and then we make truth that justifies our current life. And God steps in and God does this thing. The Bible says, He gives them up, 
meaning God lets men do what they want to do and get away with it for a time and this is where we are at today he gave him up to vile passions he gave him up to desires that are not right and the Bible says he gave him up to a debased mind meaning God just lets it go and says you guys can do how you want to do but you will still stand and give an account to me where in our culture did sexual perversion became normal I believe it's demonic it's spiritual and spiritual principalities are behind it but there is one incident that we have to highlight and this incident has to do with one person who is called the father of sexual revolution he defined redefined sexuality for everyday Americans he is an Indiana University zoologist his research was used to sway court decisions, pass legislation, it reintroduce sex education in school and push for the redefining of marriage. Prior to his research, education in school called sex ed mainly involved basic biology of a male and female, how children come into this world as well as the importance of people to use protection and getting people aware of sexually transmitted diseases. Today, sexual education is no longer focused on giving you education of biology, cisgender, heterosexual relationship, but it's actually used to promote exploration of other sexual deviance. And this is done on the level of elementary school, middle school and high school. Whereas before it was about education, today it's about promotion and pushing somebody else's agenda. And this is the man who I believe and a lot of people believe is singly, single-handedly is responsible for why this is happening in our schools and in our court system. A few things about this man. He released two books. Sexual behavior in the human male in 1948 and sexual behavior in the human female in 1953. In those books, he claims that he has interviewed about 17,000 people face to face. And these are his findings. This was about 70 something years ago now. That's 85% of men and 48% of women have said had premarital sex. 50% of men and 40% of women had been unfaithful after their marriage. Now in 1950, this statistic was a shock. And what he wants to do is pretty much make something that's a shock norm. That was his desire and his goal. He also said 71% of women claimed their affair did not hurt their marriage and said some women claim affairs helped their marriage. 69% of men had been with prostitutes according to his research. 10% of men have been homosexual for at least three years in the United States. That's in 1950. That's his findings. He says that 17% of farm boys had experienced sex with animals. Again, his findings. And he begins to describe female sexuality in 80, 842 pages, never once mentioning motherhood. In his worldview, sex with an animal and sex with a human being had no difference. And orgasm and sneezing were the same. Therefore, he introduced this thing to America, where he told Americans to change their laws to fit the facts which were normal, even though his facts were off. For example, 10% of men in America were homosexuals according to him. Gallup research today says that only 5.6% of men and women together are living a homosexual lifestyle and that's 2023. So only 5.6% percent of population in the United States is a identifying homosexual not 10 percent men in 1950 it was a flat-out lie he claimed that 71 percent of women had no problems after that they experienced affair 
But the study tells us that 85% of marriages are damaged as a result of an affair and 34% of marriages end in divorce. And if any of you here, before you came to Christ or, or even maybe when you were a Christian, you had an affair, you know that that is a flat out lie. That affairs do not destroy marriages. Alfred Kinsley's team researched most deviant sexual behavior in America and passed it off as normal. What he did is he actually in his study and research involved 1,400 imprisoned sex offenders, hundreds of prostitutes and 317 of his male subjects were sexually abused children. He took some of the worst sexually perverted and twisted people in the United States who were in prisons, pedophiles and all kinds of sex offenders and he used them to frame his view on sexuality and impose it on the nation as part of the research and say guys change the laws to fit the norm that you are not aware is happening but in reality that's not the norm of our culture. It wasn't and it still not is the norm of our culture. It's the norm of few people who practice deviant sexuality. Kinsey believed that moral standards regarding sex only come from cultural conditioning, not from timeless guidelines by what is right and what is wrong. He watched and filmed people having sex in different ways. He was sexually involved with his research subjects, his team, and as well as his wife had with other people. He was very perverted, not stable, and also crazy in the area of sexuality. What we would call today a pedophile or sexually perverted person. His research changed our nation. It changed our court system, it changed our legislations. And it is the basis that is quoted today to redefine sexual education in the United States. Alfred Kinsley believed and taught that children from birth have orgasms and pedophilia and incest benefited children. This is sensitive, harsh, but I do have to present it to you. The reason why is because you will understand why there is a target on children today. This is the guy whose studies been quoted and is used today. In 1948 book, Sexual Behavior of the Human Male recounts experiments of the nine pedophiles he employed for his research. His chart includes things that these trained pedophiles were inducing orgasms in babies as young as five months of age. How did he measure orgasms in children? He looked for several behaviors like violent convulsions, groanings, sobbings and violent cries, abundant of tears, extreme trembling, fainting and excruciating pain and screaming. What normal adult would label as a trauma, he used it as children and infants experiencing pleasure. That's sick. That's twisted. You may say, Vlad, all of this is just an exaggeration. That he really affected American culture. But in 1951, they did a study in the University of California. Psychology students were split into three groups. One group studied Kinsley's research for nine weeks. And the rest of the two groups did not study his research on sexuality. After nine weeks, this is what they found out. They gave a sex quiz to the students. Students who learned about Kinsley's work were seven times more open to premarital sex and twice as accepting of adultery. Number of students open to same-sex experiences went from zero to 15%. They were also less swayed by religion and parents' rules about sex. Inspired by Kinsley's finding, Huff Hefner founded Playboy in 1953. In 1950, an edition of Scientific Monthly quotes an attorney that defended this man because he was also being prosecuted. And he said in his things, he says, the law has two parts, finding facts and using them in courts. He believed that the law needed more tools to find the truth and suggested new rules to allow facts from Kinsley's 
research in court cases. The same way the fingerprints and blood tests are now involved in our court cases. And he wanted courts to change their laws on marriage and they did. The man who influenced the culture of the United States with his quote-unquote research is the man who believed that what we call abomination, what we call sick is actually normal. We're just afraid of it because it's taboo in our culture and because we've been socially conditioned by our culture. Why is that important? Because I'm gonna have children and they will go to public school whose, whose ideas are influencing our education. Why? Because as Christians we have Book of Romans to hold on to as our standard for sexual morality. Not the culture standard for sexual immorality. Why? Because not everything goes is biblical in our culture. We have to stand by biblical principles and biblical standards. Amen. The deliverance. Not only deviance, not only design, but I want to mention, I want to conclude this message with a deliverance. There is a deliverance that God wants to do to our culture and our generation. There's a story of Beckett Cook who was a living homosexual, living as a homosexual person and his very famous story of him actually moving to Los Angeles after college to pursue career in writing and acting. He eventually wound up as a set designer working with the world's top photographers, fashion shoots for magazines like Vogue, Harper's Bazaar and ad campaigns including for Gap, Villaton and Nike. He was of course socially progressive. He lived in a liberal town that not only embraced his creative side but also embraced his sexual orientation. At the young age he was molested by his father's friend, a secret that he hid deep. When he came out to live as homosexual, his mom started to pray fervently for him. She never berated him, she never made fun of him or she never called him with names. She loved him unconditionally, stood the truth, stood on the truth of God's word but also prayed for him. His mom died in 2016 before, in 2006, before she saw him coming to know Jesus. This man started to experience a lot of emptiness and headache. At one time when he was in Paris, he felt so empty that he was asking himself, is there more to life to this? Why do I feel that? He knew he can't come to God because he knew God stands on sexual immorality and his behavior. And so he felt trapped. Six months later, he's in Los Angeles, sees a group of students reading the Bible in a coffee shop. He comes up to them and says, guys, what are you doing? They said, we're reading the Bible. And they said, uh, what does your church think about homosexuality? Because it was obvious that he was homosexual. And they said, well our church believes that it's a sin but God loves sinners and He wants to forgive them and redeem them. And he says, if this would have been something that they said to me, you know, six years ago, I would have called them with names and said, your God is outdated. You guys just need to get on with the program. Times have changed. People have evolved. What is wrong with you guys? He said, but this time something was broken inside and I knew that I need help. They invite him to church. He goes to church that Sunday. He hears the message about Jesus, about the cross. He comes forward and gives his life to Christ. Renounces his lifestyle, gives his life entirely, including his sexuality to Jesus Christ. And continues to live for Jesus. And now he's a spokesman for purity and righteousness and testifies all around the world including on his YouTube channel that God can deliver anybody including somebody who was progressively liberal living as a homosexual. I found the prayer his mom prayed. I found it very interesting because her prayer was spiritual warfare prayer. Her prayer included things like Lord deal aggressively with the enemy enemy not being her son but the spiritual principality. Lord come against the demons and all in all powerful name of Jesus Christ with the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And then she would include four things. She said, Lord let these things be removed in the powerful name of Jesus. Spirit of homosexuality, the desire for homosexuality, the denial of his heterosexuality and to remove all the blocks of the truth in Beckett. 
and she would say I bind you Satan in Jesus name she would pray this pray this pray this she dies and doesn't see him come to know Jesus and about two years later he has an encounter in Paris and this man who is brainwashed by Hollywood, who is brainwashed by the culture, who's convinced he's just living his best life now. What can his poor, narrow-minded, intolerant, you know, bigoted and hateful Christian people can do to him. But see, there is a God who hears prayer. And I want to encourage every parent, I want to encourage every grandparent to love your children, to love your grandchildren, but to also stand on God's truth and to know you are in a spiritual warfare. To pray for them, to be delivered, to be set free and to be healed. And Jesus knows how to get them. Come on somebody. But if you are in this room today and you are a person that lives an alternative lifestyle, whether you are part of the church or maybe you are visiting our church or watching us online, I want to tell you something. God wants to save you. God wants to forgive you and God wants to deliver you. Can somebody say amen? amen? My last verse, my last portion of scripture is 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortionists will inherit the kingdom of God of God. Please understand if you're watching me or if you're in this room and maybe you are secretly battling with the homosexuality, I'm gonna get to you in just a second. But for those of you who maybe walk around and you say, you know what, I'm a Christian and I'm gay. You can no more be a gay Christian than you can be a murdering Christian, lying Christian, deceiving Christian, lustful Christian. Because a Christian's identity is based in Jesus, not in their sexual deviation. God cannot set you free from homosexuality until you renounce the lie, what the culture says. I remember sitting in the office when I was a youth pastor with a young man who just got saved in our church. He was a practicing living and expressing publicly living as a homosexual. He came and we met with him, started to talk to him about, you know, kind of what the Lord wants to do because he would enjoy worship. We said, listen, God wants to not only set you free through Jesus' blood, He wants to renew your mind and bring you the truth. And he would say that when I was abused as a child, I started to seek help and I was not offered help. He came from a Catholic church and he says, I would go to a priest and I would tell him that I'm struggling with these desires. That's according to him. He says, I was physically beaten to help me be free from that. He said he used, and I'm not going to mention the stuff that they, they did to him. And he says, after experiencing that and those desires still didn't feel, didn't leave. He says, then I tried some other conversion therapy and some other, uh, some other therapies, they didn't help. He says, and I find, you know, joy in your church, but I am homosexual and God is okay with it because he made me like that. I said, well, there's a problem with that is the Bible doesn't tell us that God created us like that. And I was like, I understand you're hurting. I understand you experience trauma and you experience this disappointment in your life. But you cannot allow the issues and the struggles to redefine the scripture. Please understand, biblically it is possible to believe that you can be born with, biblic with sinful inclination to lying, murder, hate, jealousy, including homosexual tendencies. Even though they couldn't still find a gay gene that people are born with. But the Bible tells us we all have a sin gene. We're all born with that gene. Where we have inclination towards certain deviant, rebellious behavior. All of us have that. When you become a Christian, if you still embrace the cultural lie that that is the way you are. That is the way God made you. God cannot deliver you from something you claim He made you to be like. And God doesn't go against His Word. God uses His Word to deliver us. And unfortunately that young man says, no, it's too hard, it's too painful. And I said, I understand it's hard for you to have hope. But I was like, you're not having hope in you trying harder. You're having hope in somebody who can help you to change. And His name is Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage those of you who are here today. Maybe you are here and you're battling on the inside and you've tried everything. 
and you're hiding and like this person the reason why I'm speaking like this even to our audience is because there are college students there are college professors and there are even pastors who are battling with some of this stuff on the inside there's a difference between struggling with homosexuality and identifying yourself as a homosexual person if you're a Christian your identity is in Jesus you are new in Jesus you are redeemed in Jesus you are old life is past in Jesus Christ your identity is not in what you've been through and what happened to you and all the struggles that you have endured and the trials that you have went through your identity is Jesus Christ can somebody say amen you are not your sexuality you are who God says you are but I want you to notice after that the scripture says in verse 11 and such were some of you that means what do I mean such were some of you adulterers idolaters fornicators homosexuals sodomites thieves covetous drunkards revilers extortionists he says such were some of you but you were washed come on but you were sanctified but you were justified by the name of our God and by the power of the Holy Ghost. While the Bible clearly states people like that will not inherit the kingdom of God, who identify with that, who say, Jesus, I love you, but this is, I am who the culture says I am. Your truth doesn't matter to me. And the scripture says you can't enter the kingdom of God because you're making the culture and tolerance as your God instead of Jesus as your God. The goal is not for you to become straight so you can come to Jesus. The goal is to come to Jesus the way you are. And He will wash you and He will justify you and He will sanctify you and He will set you free. Because the Bible says whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Our Jesus, He is good at bringing dead things to life. Bringing people from darkness into light and He did it to others and He will do it to you. Can somebody say Amen. You can come to Jesus the way you are. He will love you and He will accept you. He will forgive you. But please understand, Jesus is not a buddy you go to KFC with. And watch Lilith on the top of their covers. <laughs> their packaging. Jesus is not a spare tire just in case there is a hell. Jesus is the Lord of our life. Jesus didn't die on the cross to give you a cross as a jewelry to wear. Jesus died on a cross to redeem us from the wrath of God, to deliver us from the sin, to deliver us from the claws of the devil and to bring us into his kingdom. Jesus is who he says he is. I am the way, I am the truth and I am the life. Jesus is who he says he is. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Even if somebody dies, but if they believe in me, they will have eternal life. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the vine and we are the branches. Jesus is the great I am. He is powerful. He is powerful. He is anointed Messiah. And when you come to Jesus, He is so incredible. He not only will change your heart, He will change your sexuality. Come on somebody. This Jesus broke the grip of pornography in my life. This Jesus broke the grip of insecurity in my life. He broke the grip of chronic timidity in my life and He can do the same thing in yours. The reason why we don't affirm gay lifestyle is because we affirm the power of Jesus. The power of the blood, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we see so many testimonies of people who came broken and God made them whole. Who came broken and Jesus broke the yoke of bondage over their life. Who came demonized, who came scattered, who came scarred and Jesus set them free. But such were some of you. But you were washed, but you were justified, but you were sanctified. If you're battling with homosexual tendencies, if you're battling secretly, please understand temptation is not a sin. We all can be tempted with sin. That doesn't mean we have sinned when we are tempted. Jesus was tempted to worship the devil in the wilderness by the devil. That doesn't make him a devil worshiper. 
he was still holy son of God. Being tempted is one thing but when you begin to believe in the lie after you exchange the truth of God into an image of your own God my friend you are on a dangerous territory and the Bible says such will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you want to be delivered from homosexuality, if you want to be delivered from lesbianism, you have to come to know Jesus as God describes Him, not as our world describes Him. He is the Son of God. He is the true Savior of the world. He is the truth, the way and life. Come to Him the way you are. He will accept you the way you are, but He's so powerful and great, He will never leave you the way you are and you don't want it to. He will heal the hurts of your past. He will break the demon's grip that are chasing and harassing you. He will break the generational cycles over your life and give you generational blessings. Can somebody say Amen? amen. Submit your sexuality to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Flee lust. Terminate homosexual behavior. Leave the places that feed that homosexual tendencies. Take your thoughts captive, the Bible says. Forgive those that hurt you and seek deliverance. There is hope for you. There is help for you. And that hope is found in Jesus. And that help is found in discipleship, in deliverance and in God's truth. Our church is not filled with perfect people. Our church is filled with perfected people who've been taken from bondage into freedom, who've been taken from lies into truth, who've been taken from perversion into purity. And God is still in the business of setting the captives free. But my friend, we have to renounce the lie. We have to repent of idolatry and embrace the God of the Bible and His way of salvation, who is Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. And I am done. I think, I think only two people left the church today. So that's, that's a big win. Amen. As a pastor, I want to tell you something that my desire through this series is not to grow the church, is to shrink it. Sooner or later, if we don't take a stance, we will have other issues that we're going to deal with and with our children. And so I would rather be hated for the truth by the culture who hated Christians always. Christians were always hated. 2,000 years ago, Nero blamed them for burning Rome. They had nothing to do with it. Culture will always label us how they see it fit. And we have to be okay with that. Yes, we are, they would say things like, you guys are intolerant. To some degree, it's true. We believe only one way to God. It's Jesus. We're, we're not tolerant to other ways. That's, we believe that there's right way to live sexually moral and that is outlined by the Bible. So we are not tolerant of sexual ethic. We believe in the scripture. But we love everyone. But we stand for God's word and God's truth. And as your pastor, that's what my desire is. My desire is not to preach so that we can get a big church. I would love to see that. But first that we have godly, men and women of God, that when we stand before Jesus, that He will say, faithful and good servant, not depart from me, for I don't know who you are. You who practice lawlessness. The Bible calls things lawlessness. Culture calls this choice, alternative, all of that. But we have to stay with the Bible. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, I would like to invite you to follow Him. His campaign his kingdom is different than this world. He will make you strong. If your desire is to be liked by the world, please don't become a Christian. If your desire is to fit in, don't become a Christian. Because Jesus' kingdom is opposite. He says to go up, you have to go down. He says to live, you have to die. What the world calls truth, Jesus calls a lie. His kingdom is completely opposite and if you say, but I just want to add Jesus to the whatever I have in my life, it just won't work. Now you can come to church, raise the hands, sing the Kumbaya with the rest of us. You can do all of that. But when it comes to 
that decision of being his disciple, it's a way higher standard that Jesus calls us to. And I want to invite you today, not to just to be wishy-washy, spineless snowflake. Forgive me for my language. I want to invite you to be a disciple, pick up your cross, stand up for Jesus. Don't cave into the pressure of the culture and be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Let's see people saved. Let's see people healed. Let's see people delivered. And let's see the church become an army, not just a big audience. Let's rise. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you are in this room or a second room, the sanctuary number two, or watching us online, I want to give you an opportunity right now to give your life to Jesus or to come back to Jesus. Maybe you are here today and you identified yourself with the things that I have mentioned. And today you're recognizing the emptiness in your heart as well as the, as the fear of God touching you and, and you recognizing that God's Word speaks the truth and you've been living on the other side of that truth. You've been living in the lie. I want to give you an opportunity today to place your faith in Jesus. Come to Him. He will not only wash you and justify you. He wants to sanctify you, change you, make you a new person. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you need to give your life to Jesus and you want to recommit your life to Jesus, just raise up your hand. You say, this is me. I want to give my life to the Lord today. Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else in our second sanctuary who's saying, I want to give my life to Christ. Thank you. I see your hand. Just raise your hand high. I just want to pray with you in just a moment. If you're watching us on live stream and you would like to do that right now, just drop that in the comment. I want to be saved. I want to give my life to Jesus. For those of you who raised your hand right there where you're standing, place your hand up on your heart and let me pray for you right now. For those of you in our second sanctuary and watching us online, pray this with me together. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I am a sinner. Please forgive me of all my sin and wash me with your blood. I believe you are the Son of God who died on that cross for all my sin. You're the only Savior, my Redeemer. I repent. Please forgive me. Wash me. Make me new. I surrender my life to your Lordship. I renounce sin. I renounce demons, witchcraft, strongholds, and generational curses. My life is yours. And from this day forward, all of me, including my sexuality, belongs to you. Fill me with your spirit right now, Lord. In Jesus' name. The rest of your church, I want you to place your hand up on your heart. Let me pray for you right now. I want to pray that God will break off every lie of us and that we will conform to the truth. I want to pray for those of you who may be battling with sexual bondages. Maybe the things that I did not mention but other stuff and you feel shame and you feel like there is no hope and there is no help for you. Today God wants to set you free. I want to invite our pastors and leaders to come forward right now. This prayer is going to be different today. If you are battling and you need prayer, you say, I need to confess, I need to renounce, I need to be free today. And maybe not the sins the pastor mentioned, but other things that have to do with sexual bondages. Today is your day of freedom. God doesn't want you to come to church. The devil wants you to just feel shame and guilt. God wants you to experience freedom and liberty. And today is that day. Father, in the name of Jesus, I take authority right now over every unclean spirit harassing and tormenting people's lives. In Jesus' mighty name. Every unclean demons and spirits and curses of homosexuality, lesbianism, pornography, adultery, or sexual deviance, sexual perversion that is attacking maybe your people. Right now in the name of Jesus Christ Lord, I pray for those people that are maybe living in shame, living in guilt, living in just bondage and they're so tired of it. They feel so hopeless and they feel so helpless Lord. Today right now I ask you that the power of Jesus Christ, the power of the blood of 
Jesus. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to break that bondage right now. In Jesus name I break that bondage over their mind. I break that bondage over their body. I break that bondage over their life right now in Jesus name. Lord your, your word says whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Set them free right now. You're hearing their confession. You're hearing the cry for help God. You're hearing the cry for hope Lord. Meet them at the point of their need. The way you set the Corinthians free. Lord God when they were such as some but they were delivered, washed, sanctified and justified. Let people in our church walk in holiness. Let them walk in purity. Let them walk in victory. Let them walk with the testimony that their God set them free. That their God liberated them Lord. In Jesus mighty name. We break the power of pornography right now in Jesus name. We break the power of intrusive thoughts of homosexual inclinations right now. In the name of Jesus I take authority over every lesbian spirit that is seek to harass your people. Every demon that entered through trauma. Every demon that entered through abuse. In Jesus mighty name. I command you to be uprooted right now. I command you to come up and out right now in Jesus mighty name. Loose your grip off of God's people. Loose your grip off of their mind. Loose your grip off of their sexuality. Loose your grip off of their body in the name of Jesus Christ. By the power of the Holy Spirit I break that chain that connects you to perversion, immorality or sexual deviance. I break that chain that ran in your family.